Thank you, David. Thank you for the welcome. It's really good to be here with you and here, and I'll be uh, helping out from time to time over this period when maternity leave. So look forward to getting to know more of you. Uh, just a very short introduction uh, from the Psalms, from Psalm 103, where we read, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and all your disease, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. And our theme is about uh, God's love, his compassion. Well, uh, I have a little bit of history for you here as well. Uh, and we're going to just see one picture that's going to come up in a moment, um, which is going to be my little theme now. Uh, and uh, this is really for everybody, because this is uh, one of the stories that I used to tell. It's a true story. And uh, it's uh, a man called, can you see his name? Yeah, Dirk, that's right. Now, anybody know where he might have lived? Where might the name Dirk come? It's not a really a common name in this country, is it? So, anybody know? Holland! Oh, right first time. Wow. Uh, so, he's in Holland, and uh, he was part of a group like us, of uh, Baptist Christians. Uh, but in those days, this, uh, the 16th century, so way, uh, there were really difficult times for people like us. It was very difficult to follow Jesus in this way, to sing songs like we've been singing. All of that sort of thing was really difficult because there were people who persecuted you. You know, that just means they were against you and they did bad things to you if you were trying to follow Jesus in that way. And Derek was one of those people in Holland. Uh, and uh, so over this period, 16th century and into the 17th century, uh, there was lots of these persecutors. And they actually, we talked about chains, didn't we? They put people in chains in prison. Okay? So, not something you want, is it? You wouldn't want to be in chains in prison, would you? No. So, uh, I'm going to use this space here. That's why I'm staying here. Because I need to tell you what happened. Uh, Dirk was put in prison. And then, and he was in chains, but a friend of his managed to get him out. Managed to get the chains off. And he managed to escape out of the prison. So he started to run away. And uh, where he was coming out of the prison, running as fast as he could, I'll maybe not run as fast as he did, but um, he came to a part of his, where he would try and escape, which was a frozen pond. Do you have any frozen ponds in Cottenham in the winter? Or? No, there's probably no ponds. Actually. Um, frozen pond. So... He might have fallen in, but he didn't. He got across to the other. But by this time, the guard realized that Dirk had escaped. And he began to run across. And the guard was heavier than Dirk. Probably the guard was well fed. And Dirk didn't get much food in prison. So the guard fell in through the ice. Now, what would you have done? If you had been Dirk escaping, uh, what would you have done, do you think? Any ideas? When you're the person who was going to chase you, leave him. Yeah, I think I would have been tempted to leave him as well. I might have even said, thank you, Lord. Great. This bad man has come to the right kind of end for him and all bad people. 
But that isn't what Dirk did, because you can see what Dirk did. Dirk turned back. So Dirk was going to be free, but something inside Dirk said, I know how much love God had for me. So this is our theme today. God's love. God loves everybody, not just the good people, also the bad people. So Dirk said, if I'm going to follow God, then I'm going to turn back and I'm going to save this man out of the water. Now the man actually took back into prison again. So it wasn't easy for Dirk to think that his good deed had ended up him going back into prison. But he did the right thing, actually, because he was following what God had said. God said, not just the good people, but even your enemies. So what about that, maybe at school or wherever you are, think, there's somebody who's making it difficult for me. Maybe they're even making it difficult because you're a Christian. But what we need to do if we're following God is to show them love. And who knows, they might be changed by that love. So my chains fell off was the song, and there's the story. I hope you'll maybe remember that story about Dirk and uh, how he showed God's love. It's a very famous story. Because of, you can see all these pictures that we saw is because so many books have been the story of Dirk. So it really is one of the stories which we can think about still today. The reading is uh, carrying on in our series from 1 John, chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Thank you, Rob. And so we pray that uh, the words of your mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our King and our Redeemer. 
So you've been looking at this uh, great letter, uh, the first letter of John, and uh, I like to think about John, this old Christian, this old follower of Jesus, coming towards the end of his life probably, and uh, the words of Jesus still wait uh, in his heart, and so he wants to talk about the things that Jesus said about God's love, and those things come back to him in a powerful way, and he passes them on. And uh, I'm going to refer a little bit later to this uh, image that we've here as we think about exactly who God is. It's interesting to me that this is not, in John's writings here, just a God who does loving things. That's really important, uh, that we should be following the example of Jesus in his love uh, and of God in his love for the world. But more than that, it's actually about identity. Who is God? God is love. Isn't that fantastic? To think that in the very core of, of his being, that's who God is. It's not just he's working himself up to do some loving things. That is actually uh, what is the essence of who God is. And it's really interesting to think about identity, isn't it? Uh, if somebody says to you, what do you get your identity from? What's the core? And often we talk about the things that we do. Uh, we talk about relationships that we have. Uh, I hear quite a bit of, about this um, because part of what I do and I've been doing for a few years is going into Edinburgh's hospital as a locum chaplain. And suddenly people are wondering when they're ill, who am I? They're not the same as they were before because a lot of the things that they were doing before they've stopped doing and so it's an amazing opportunity uh, as a chaplain to be alongside people when they're really asking those kind of very profound questions. It's a fantastic privilege to be able to listen to people as they bring their anxieties uh, and although these are about health issues often they're deeper. They're about what is my future and where do I put my trust? So it's about who I am. And when we come to this wonderful letter of John, we hear these words, that God is love. It's there in verse 8, there in verse 16 in our reading. And as I say, I think as John writes this, he's thinking back to when he was with Jesus. Because, of course, John was, uh, and is referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple who listened to a lot of what Jesus said and who wrote the Gospel of John. And as Jesus explained uh, in those teachings that he gave to the disciples, for example, in John 13, 14, 15, 16, all that uh, section of the Gospel of John, uh, what we find is that there is the idea of the community of love. God not just being an isolated person, because actually if you're the only one person in the whole world, there's nothing else, how do you love? Like a relationship, isn't it? There's somebody else involved when we love. And so the idea of the Trinity is actually there in the Gospel of John, as John records how Jesus spoke about the Father and about the, and about the Spirit. And this is what this icon is. Uh, it's a Russian uh, iconographer, as they're called, to use the technical language, uh, called Rublev. And he was trying to portray what it meant to say that God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
But does anything strike you? Probably you've seen other pictures of, um, of the Trinity or portrayals of the Trinity. Does anything particular strike you when you look at that, um, that Rublev uh, painting? Any thoughts about it? Yeah. Yes, it's, it's not obvious that they're male. Uh, so it's not really trying to make a big thing of gender. And uh, I think that's really important. God is actually beyond the categories that we uh, make when we think about gender. The fact that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, is bringing together all that we think of as male and female together. Uh, and I think Rublev was trying to say something about, um, because actually we're made image of God as women as well as men. So that's who God is. He transcends. He's above that. And he embraces it. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, there's, there's a fantastic resemblance, isn't there, uh, tweet, uh, amongst uh, those three, yeah. They're sharing one plate, yeah, so there's the oneness as well as the things there. And there isn't really a hierarchy, is there? You know, it's not that somebody at the top, uh, you might say there's a little bit of uh, the little person, perhaps, resembling God the Father as the, as the creator, but it's much more of a fellowship. And also it's open, isn't it? So it's not a closed circle. Would you agree? It's open for us to come in. So this is how Rublev saw this fellowship of love, who God is. Uh, he saw it as something that was uh, a sharing together and an openness to others. Three and one. And sometimes when we think about who God is as Trinity, we think it's a kind of mathematical puzzle. You know, how can three be one? But that's not how we're supposed to think about it. The key to it is love. The key to it is relationship. The key to it is openness and impulse. That God in himself always was and is and will be a fellowship. Yeah? And that's how our fellowship, says John, should be. That's why we are people who are people who love one another and should be people who love one another. Because that's the God who we worship. That's the one whom we follow. He is not isolated. And it's a fantastic message, I think, in this kind of age that we're living in, where people are trying to build themselves up and almost to protect themselves from people around them. That's the very opposite of who God is and who the Christian fellowship is should be if we're to mirror God. So the Trinity, as we think about it, uh, is really, really important. It's not a kind of thing for theologians to debate. It is so absolutely practical. If this is who God is, this is who God is. Sharing together and around a meal. That's also interesting. A little bit of a feeling of perhaps uh, the, the Lord's Supper, the presence of Jesus and the Father and the Spirit at the Lord's Supper. Then, if that's who God is, that's the kind of people that we should be. But John, in writing this, says, that's exactly. God showed his love. He sent his Son. His Spirit is with us. But, isn't there a problem? Aren't we just incapable of being those kind of people? Isn't it too difficult? And that's why I used the Dirk story at the beginning. Because it's a real challenge, isn't it? To say, how do we do that? 
And of course we realize our failings. Of course we realize that we uh, to this amazing standard of love and self-giving. But that's where the message of Jesus comes in. And John talks about how Jesus came as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I think about that uh, in the Stuart Townend song, didn't we? About how the cross bridges from God in this amazing fellowship of love to us, often not as loving as we should be. And in that atoning sacrifice, which simply means bringing together at one, which is a fantastic idea of creating fellowship, isn't it? Atonement, at one moment. In Jesus' coming and his death on the cross, he creates the possibility of that fellowship, of people coming into that, of this openness for new people to come in and for us as local churches to be places of healing and of worship. Uh, and I find it very, very exciting, I must say, uh, in Cambridge, uh, to be part of a church that actually was four denominations uh, in one fellowship. And that said something, I think, uh, about how fellowship can be created and how people came in and found Christ in that multi-denominational fellowship. So John is giving us a challenge. He is saying to us, uh, if we claim that we are living God, and we do claim that, we experience that, then let us be the kind of people who testify to the world of this love of Jesus and of the Father and the Spirit, all in one fellowship together. And as we think about that, and as we think possibly of our own failures and how we would like to be better, then the spotlight comes on the cross. Uh, there's a retreat centre that Janice and I were at uh, some time ago. And uh, when you get to the evening in this retreat centre, there are three crosses uh, that are very large, actually, in the centre of uh, where the retreat houses are. And as the evening comes, spotlights uh, are beamed onto these uh, three crosses. And mind us that, of course, at the centre is Jesus, and he's reaching out his arms. That's part of the symbolism, really, of the cross. Uh, and one other person did enter into fellowship uh, with Jesus, didn't they, uh, on that last time in Jesus' life and in the other man's life, the thief on the cross. And Jesus said, today you will be with me. So it's not how good we are, because he had no opportunity to be a good person at the end of life. And that's, again, something that I'm uh, involved in in, uh, in hospital visiting. I'm often with people at the end of their lives and, and praying for them, and just asking. Uh, so they're not even able to pray for themselves, but asking for love enfold them. So it's not how much we've done, it's not how much we can do, but it is what kind of people want to be. Because if we want to follow God, then his identity, his very nature, is love. And fellowship, and that is the call to us that we should be that kind of people. And when we know this love, perfect love drives out fear. Uh, the Christian community today, in this country and in many other countries, has every reason to be fearful. Very vulnerable kind of community, but that's not a bad thing. Uh, it shouldn't be something that makes us fearful, actually, because we're following the way of Jesus. We're not following the way of the powers of this world, but we're following the way of giving, of giving ourselves to others and praying that they will also 
experience God's love for themselves. So let's together. Lord, we thank you that we love because you first loved us. And that love was shown in costly giving of yourself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because all of who you are was involved in the self-giving of the cross. And so may we be people who love our brothers and sisters and serve them and serve the people in need around us. There are many needs. They may not always be so obvious, but people inside have needs for love and for healing and for forgiveness. And so help us to look with your eyes, Lord, on the world around us and to see that you are the one who always offers saving and healing power, offers love, offers grace. In Jesus' name, amen. And as we come to uh, the end of our service, we're going to sing in a moment uh, a song. Brother, sister, let me serve you. And it is a song that speaks primarily about a Christian community. And of course, that's where uh, these real acts of uh, service uh, are nurtured. First of all, uh, we had the privilege, Janice and I, recently of visiting a community of people, about 300 people living in Sussex, uh, who have actually committed themselves completely to all their possessions uh, and uh, everything that they have, their resources being shared uh, within the community to serve one another. But out of that has come an overflow of amazing ways in which they've been able to give and to serve the wider world. So, brother, sister, let me say, is not supposed to limit what we do, but it is uh, the inspiration uh, for us to be the people uh, who serve in this world. That's so, Father, as we go into the rest of this week, may we be aware of this wonderful reality of who you are, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, love, loving, loving fellowship. And may that be not only a reality that knowing you, but something we know in ourselves, in our community, and for our community. So now may the blessing of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon us and remain with us and with all those now and forevermore. Amen.